this reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. But many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to, sh to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Will you guys pray with me? God, you are good, and I am so thankful for your love and for your grace and that you are a God who intervenes in our life, who steps out of a distance and comes near, who loves us, who cares for us. So right now, may the meditation of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. God, speak to us as only you can. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Welcome to Masterclass Week 3. It's so good to see all of you. And if you are just now joining us, uh, we are in a series called Masterclass where we're using 1 Corinthians as the basis for this Masterclass. And so it's not cooking with Gordon Ramsay or singing like Beyonce or learning the violin like Yo-Yo Ma. It is learning how to be a master at all of life, and we're taking our cue from the Apostle Paul. And so to catch you up to speed, where we're at in this letter that the Paul has written to this church in Corinth is that what has happened is there basically become a bunch of groupies of charismatic leaders within the church. And so what has happened is uh, groups or factions have been have divided and are saying, hey, I follow Paul or I follow follow Peter or I follow Apollos because there are these charismatic speakers that were coming through Corinth and people would get and rally around them and Paul identifies something in this church and he says, hey, your behavior is actually not consistent with the way of Jesus. And Paul's goal in writing this is to take us back from bad behavior, but not just saying bad behavior is bad for the sake of bad behavior, but actually taking us deeper, going from behavior to our beliefs and to underneath our beliefs, figuring out where we belong and underneath that belonging, figuring out what we believe about God all together. And so our passage today, we're actually going to be starting in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 18, and we're going to go through all the way through 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5, and what happens is there's three sections here. There's three sections. The first section is foolishness of pure reason. And then Paul's going to write, and he's going to reapply 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to the Corinthian church. And then lastly, he's going to give an example of his own life. See, Paul's talking about the most upside-down thing in the universe. That when you look at it, you would think it's a bad idea, but it's actually a good idea. In fact, it's the most important idea on the whole planet. Hence why we are calling this series Master Class. See, and when we understand this important idea, it will give us courage to face the world and all the pressure of the world. And if you define your life by this upside-down reality. And so Paul kind of unwinds the layers here of what he sees in the life of the Corinthian church. And he begins to address their beliefs that have manifested in their branding. And so if you missed last week, that's what I kind of set up this section on on divisions and factions with these groupies. As everyone was branding themselves under a certain leader or a certain person. And we have a tendency to do that ourselves. It's to say, hey, I ascribe to this person, I follow this person, and are we... People who are Jesus-branded, are we people who are becoming more like Jesus? And the temptation is to just put out Jesus-branding while our lives look nothing like the way of Jesus. And so for Paul to begin to say, hey, your behavior, your branding, proves that you're actually less like Jesus than you think, begins to get to the root reason of why they thought they needed the branding in the first place. See, the next layer beneath the brand is the belief that they need a certain brand. And their belief is that the attention of others, their alignment with a group or a faction, validates their identity. And it's the definition of wisdom is basically to have a good life. They thought that their life would be good if enough people gave them the right type of attention and they were validated, which meant their identity was thus correct. And so they were competing. They were undergoing a competition between self-reliance and God-reliance. And it shows up in these three sections. See, we all create branding. We all want to put off this image or present this image that we know what it's like to live a good life. And we want to project this reality and thus hopefully actualize the good life. It's why we post pretty pictures on Instagram. It's why we post certain things on social media, but it's also one of the first things we come up with in conversation. We tend to talk about the good things that are going on in our life, and we present ourselves like life is good. Just think in natural conversation. How are you doing? Our most natural response is, I'm good. I'm fine. We present things in such a way that it is good, and we hope that then, even if we're crumbling inside, that that statement or that projection will become reality. And so while the Corinthians didn't have social media, they did have those traveling scholars and teachers come through the city. And so they were definitely aware of different belief systems, of different competing things that said, this is what it means to be a good life. 
because we face that challenge on a daily basis of when we present certain things in the world, there are competing values. What should we post? What should we say? What should we describe? Because to each different person, we might have to project a different image to convey that things are on the right track or that things are good. And the result of these Corinthians, what was happening in this moment, because of all these options available to them, they became tribal. So some Peter, some Apollos, some Paul. And Paul's point is that the subscription to a certain leader within the church was an outcome of something deeper. I alluded to this in week one of our series, but I'll be a little more clear here. Because what happens is oftentimes in the branding or in talking about issues, when the issue needs addressed, we never quite deal with the issue beneath the issue. And it doesn't quite make sense to deal with the consequences of the issue until Paul deals with the issue beneath the issue. See, every sin issue in your life is a failure to deal with the issue beneath the issue. The reason you drink too much, the reason you want to cheat on money issues, the reason you catch yourself, your eyes wandering to someone other than your spouse, the reason we sin is because Jesus isn't enough. We think the grass is greener. And we think that if we could just have that, then our soul will be satisfied. Thus believing Jesus really isn't enough. And I've found that many people don't know how to distinguish what they feel and experience from what they actually believe. See, in order to grow in applying Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to ourselves, we must learn to pay close attention to what we are actually believing in the moment. So often, when we get to these moments, here's an example of what this looks like, is when we do something wrong or bad, we say, oh, I'm sorry, But what we're sorry for, what we confess in the moment, is our sinful behaviors. In other words, we confess the fruit. We say, I'm sorry I lied, please forgive me. Or, I'm sorry I looked at pornography, please forgive me. I know that's wrong, I won't do that again. Please forgive me. The problem, however, is that the need to confess sinful beliefs, the roots, we need to confess that below the surface. That's really motivating these sinful actions, producing their behaviors. We need to get to the sins beneath the sins. See, all sin stems from wrong beliefs. Lies we believe, and ultimately from our unbelief in Jesus. And because we don't generally go beyond the fruit to the root, we end up aiming at behavior modification instead of true transformation. We say, I'm sorry, I promise I won't do it again, or I'm going to try harder in the future, are among our typical responses when maybe we feel a little guilty or shame because someone brings something up to us. And typically someone might respond, oh, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Just be happy. Cheer up. It's really not as bad as you think. It could be worse. The problem is that such responses don't address the real problem. The sins under the sins. Because, see, it might actually be as bad as we think or worse. And we know that it could get worse. See, when we begin to focus our life on Jesus and becoming more like him, we come to see that not just our actions are sinful and wrong, but when we have faulty beliefs 
that lead to those actions, those are wrong as well. And it's those faulty beliefs, the lies we believe that are wicked and deceptive. And that's the reason we sin. That sin is wicked and our world is broken. And we suffer and will suffer because we fail to believe God is good and he ultimately satisfies. See, we're not promised a pain-free, trouble-free, suffering-free existence. But one of the reasons you worry is precisely because you know it could be worse. The problem is that we often look to ourselves to be the solution to those problems, to deal with that future possibility, than look to a God who does satisfy and can sustain. Let me pause here for a moment. I've, I've mentioned fruit and root a couple times. And I want to actually throw a picture up on the screen. Because sometimes when we, we read these gospel letters, and as we get into Paul's words here, we start to think and say, okay, Paul's just aiming at this behavior modification, this transformation. But what we actually need to do is continue to go deeper because it's going to come up again and again as we look at other issues beyond just these tribal factions. And so as we think about desire for control, fear or anxiety or worry, we have to trace that back down to the root. That who am I? What has God done and who is God? And ultimately come around to who God is. So that when we rightly understand who God is and we say, God, you are that. Therefore, you have moved maybe on my behalf. You have been loving towards me, which means I am loved. That means then I can love, and the outcome of that is a new type of fruit. And so as you look at your life, you may be thinking about some of the things that maybe you would like to change, or things that aren't just quite going right, or there's a disconnected in nature. And Paul repeatedly says we got to trace that back and reverse the order. And that's why he says that the wisdom of the cross is foolishness because it's upside down. So much of our life is based on what we do determines who we are. And in inverse, what Paul is saying, no, it's who God is and what he has done for you tells you who you are and thus you are able to respond and live a truly beautiful life becoming more like Jesus. And so this picture is important because it helps us visualize Paul's transition from verses 10 through 17 to 18, where he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In verse 18, he talks about this perishing, but is the power of God to those who are being saved. The, verse, the verb tenses are perishing and are being saved are significant. Both describe a work in progress because what Paul is saying is the actions, your actions communicate what you actually believe. And so when you live out a life of faith, are you communicating that you are on the path towards perishing or are you on the path towards life? And so your behaviors are not the things that necessarily need to start change, but you need to go back to the belief and once you can understand and reevaluate the belief what you truly believe about God and the way the world works, then you can start to live in a different way. See, they describe a work in progress. And the way in which we live is moving in one of those two directions. And the fruit he is referring to, that when you live a life of faith, 
when you're, tend, when you're tempted to reduce who you are to following a specific leader or being in a specific tribe. The conclusion is all the way down in verse 31. And it says this, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Where you find your pride, where you find your identity must come from Jesus. And when you understand that, you're able to live in response to that. See, we're not just saved once in our past. We're actively being saved through the presence of the Holy Spirit and living that out, proving our salvation. God's salvation didn't just happen to us. It's continuing to happen. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, it has to be good news for our daily choices. The ongoing work of God conforming us into the image of Christ. It's our activity in this process of ongoing repentance from unbelief to belief that he is good. It's daily choosing him. And the little things, when it comes to money or sex or relationships or business or parenting. So we, like the Corinthians, are constantly faced with a litany of choices. And we can often get choice fatigue. You've experienced this at the end of a long day, especially those of you who have kids and you just go, yes, to everything or no to everything, or even some of those of you who don't have kids, you've hit those moments where it's just like, yes, whatever, or no, I'm done with it. And we're exhausted by the options. And what happens is we're in that moment feeling very fragile. And we recognize that our beliefs are more individual and less open to outside influence. We have buffered ourselves and build a protective barrier of individual choice, rationalism, and are not letting the true transformation of Christ affect what we may actually need to choose in that moment. So let me say it this way. It's almost a given that there is an endless number of options, all of them contested. In addition to our understanding of these beliefs, They tend to be more fragile than beliefs held in the past. Whereas people used to kind of pass their beliefs from parents and the community down to their children, today it's normal and even expected for each individual in the West to choose their own personal beliefs. And it's common for people to change their beliefs multiple times over their lives because all beliefs are contested. And we are hyper aware of other options. Our commitment to any one belief tends to be much looser. And so belief itself is flattened and shifted to the inner judgment of the individual. Part of the reason we hold our beliefs so lightly is that what is truly important to us is not only our primary beliefs, but how they affect our identity. So our identity formation becomes a central concern, and our beliefs are just another way we articulate that identity. See, at the heart of this age, it's the individual and their effort to create and project their identity in a chaotic and hostile world. Hence, branding. See, and it's never more apparent than when we talk about or have spiritual conversations. See, for Christians, this means that open dialogue and the merits about 
the truth of the Christian faith can all too easily be interpreted by our hearts as reasons why they should choose to add Christianity to their identity. It, you see these moments when you're, you're talking with someone over coffee or you're talking with a coworker, you're going through the Dutch bros line and you start to talk about things of faith. And what people are hearing are not actually merits for the Christian faith. What they are hearing is, I wonder if Christianity will actually be helpful to me. Will this help my sense of identity be real or right? Will it help me express who I truly am? Would this faith improve my quality of life? What they are hearing when we talk about faith is less the actual reality of the saving good news of Jesus Christ and more about personal preference of identity expression. Think about the, the choice of, would you rather go to BlackRock or would you rather go to Dutch Bros? You have your personal preference. You may even have a preference of which drink you'd get where. And so when we talk about faith, when we talk about how the good news of Jesus is actually good news to us and is changing and transforming us, what people are ultimately hearing is less that the good news is transforming and more that it's based out of personal preference. It's really not about someone named Jesus Christ who was the son of God who died for our sins, and it's more about publicly defining yourself as a Christian through debate because it gives your sense gives you a sense of personal fulfillment and because you need to promote that definition meaning when they look at you if you're talking about faith they may say oh you're trying on christianity for a while a little while like you try on a style of clothing and so it's less about the intellectual defense of the christian faith and more about the belief that what's my goal in my life is to project and present who I think I am to the world. And how we define ourselves is based on what we do and even what others say we are. But in fact, the Christian must hear that, understand that, and say, no, I am who God says I am. I am someone who is loved because God stepped out of heaven and came to earth. And lived a life to show me what it's like to be truly human. And died on the cross to pay for the penalty of my sins and victoriously resurrected. So that I may have power and life and access to the one true and living God who shows me and can enable me how to live a full life. Which means saying more no to ourselves and more yes to Jesus. And that's the message that Paul says he came to preach. He, not five points how to be happy, not five points on how to become more efficient. I need that one because I love to be more efficient. Not how to put up with difficult people, but he came to preach Christ and Christ crucified. Meaning when we understand who God is and what he has done for us. And we begin to evaluate our life. And we start to think of our own identity and who we are and what it means to live in the world. That we don't try to answer those questions through a physical or practical, practical reality. But we begin to answer those questions in light of the cross. 
See, Paul was once offended by a crucified Messiah. And so were the Greeks. They thought that the cross was a humiliating instrument of death. And it was foolish to say that the Savior of the world would actually die on that cross. See, this was debated and contested. What type of things held the world together? And it's not a principle, it's not a religion, it's a person in his name of Jesus. And in this moment, what Paul is critiquing in verses 15 er, through 18 through 25, is he's saying you're going to have to challenge your own feelings. You're going to have to challenge your own rationale. Because at the end, your own reason will reach its limits. We think we, at times, we can talk our way or fight our way out of a paper bag. We think if we can just reason and reason and reason, we'll get to a consistent and coherent conclusion. And what Paul is saying, that the way God operates is he will choose the foolish things to shame the wise. And that's perplexing and confounding and frustrating. And the reason why that's so frustrating is precisely the point. Because we're not in control. We can't, we can't determine what's right and wrong based on our own merits. That's why when we serve and love self-sacrificially, we actually feel more joy and more peace. It's when we're generous with time and money, we feel more fulfillment. It's, it's why when we take some time to listen to someone else, we go, and it was good to listen better than it was to talk. See, such weakness, choosing to lay down our life and pick up the cross is scandalous to those who think of themselves as righteous and not needing forgiveness. But we must recognize that we all are in need of mercy, that the good news sets us free to follow our Savior in the everyday things of life. Thus, when we are weak and we are confused and we don't have it all together, we don't have to provide justification after justification after justification while life is either falling apart or futile. We can simply say we need Jesus. And he provides the power and true wisdom of God. It's those moments when you can just open up your hands and say, God, I need you to move. And maybe it's a small whisper in your soul or a text from a friend that says, hey, you're not alone. I'm here with you. And God says you are loved. And actually, some idea pops into your mind that you said, I would have never thought of that in a million years to try that in this situation. And that's precisely the point. We sometimes have to come to the end of our rope, the end of our reason. And when nothing seems reasonable, the biggest reason in the world that we can move forward, the way we can have courage, is because of Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, not, he's not Hanai intellectual. He's not saying don't explore or seek or research. What he was saying is that as you look at your own lives, as you look at how God has moved in and changed your life, the proclamation 
of this good news cannot be a form of human wisdom. Writing to a city and a church obsessed with reputation and honor, Paul is risking saying, stop thinking of yourselves so highly. You think you're smarter than you are. And if you actually understand your position in life, the borderline says most of you are nobodies. See, their calling is to love God and love others and help others live that out and to go on that journey. And when you try to manufacture that or make that happen with your own reason, ultimately, what you will produce is not the fruit that you so desire. I think of this in light of my own story because that's what Paul does. As he talks about their own story and who they were and what they were about, and kind of, like I said, kind of calls them nobodies. And he also then goes on to share how he, he chose to live a different path, where he didn't show up to Corinth with words of wisdom, though he was schooled in rhetoric, though he had the training. But when he stepped into Corinth, he actually said no to his background and, and almost his authentic self and said yes to the way of God. Because that's what happens is as this world says, express your authentic self, what we actually need to do is realize that our most authentic self it's not who we are inside, but who God says we are. And thus, when we flip that on its head, we actually find our most authentic self in the hands of the author of our story. And I've got to think of this in light of my own. When, we, when my family and I moved out here a couple years ago, we went through something called an assessment in preparation for church planning. And as we went through that assessment, they, they grill you, they analyze you, your strengths, your gifts, abilities. They, they, they ask you deep questions about, about your sin and your suffering and, and all that. And they bring that out so you become more self-aware. And it was a beautiful and difficult thing. But at the end of that assessment, one of the things that was said to Ruth and I is, hey, you are from Ohio. She's from Kentucky. You have no business going west. You should plant a church in Ohio. You should plant a church in Kentucky. You don't know how to relate to people in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, they're different from you. You come, again, different background, walk of life, experiences. The weather's different. Like, their behaviors are different. And, uh, and, and they, they provided all of this reasoning. And the only thing that I could come back to was the sense of calling that God and I had placed on Ruth and I's life that we were going to follow Jesus wherever and whenever. And we were going to help others do the same. And in that moment, we actually had to take the wisdom of all the assessment, all the scholarly, which has guided people and good and right paths in the past, to actually set that human wisdom aside for a second and default back to the calling that God had placed on our life. Because we knew what little we knew is that if we could love Jesus and love others wherever we found ourselves, then others would become more like Jesus. And we have done that imperfectly, and we're still in progress, and we're still in process. But my hope and my joy is that over the last several years, people have gotten closer to Jesus 
And what's been a beautiful thing is people that just haven't shown up here and got closer to Jesus, but through you all, being present where you are, saying, I have weakness, I have frailty, I have frustrations, but in the midst of all that, I'm going to trust the foolishness of the cross. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to allow that to affect my choices. See, in the moment when the world says, trust your most authentic self, what my encouragement to you is I think your most authentic self is not in the wisdom of yourself or in the wisdom of others, but it's in who God calls you to be. It's consistent with God's leading. And his leading is always in the way of Jesus. Being right with him, becoming more like him, being free from sin, so that at the end of the day, when people go, look at where you are in life, you can say, I am where I am, I am who I am, in spite of myself, I can boast in none other than the Lord. What Paul wants in this moment is for this church to recognize that their belief is that they need to define who they are for themselves. And when they begin to start to define their life and who they are with who God says they are, it's going to be terrifying, but it will also be beautiful because it will be more than a brand. It will be more than just a veiled promotion of belief it will change your life and you'll become more like Jesus and it will happen because the spirit of God will move in your life I think the way that I want to end is with this So often, I, I try to critique pure reason. I try to say that at the end of the day, we've got to surrender ourselves. And I think sometimes we wonder, what does that actually look like? How do I do that on a daily basis? And I think it always starts with opening ourselves up and admitting we're weak. Admitting where we actually need help. Admitting where there's gaps and inviting the Lord to work and inviting others to speak into it. And this is a reason why each and every week we take time to do communion. It's why we have a response time. Because I think no matter maybe how clever my words are or how many illustrations I bring together to make you get, I think, what the point of the text is. At the end of the day, understanding who God is and what he has done for you, being a good God who loves and gives us good gifts, and for us to believe that to be true will mean that we don't have to prove ourselves, 
We don't have to brand ourselves in a certain way. We don't have to seek satisfaction elsewhere. But we can truly rest, not in who we want to be or who we aspire to be, but in who we are because precisely where we are in the precise place in which we find ourselves, the precise person that we are is someone that God loves. And he proved that to us in Jesus. So I don't know what your aspirations are right now. I don't know what you want to seek to actualize in your life, what you're hoping for. But in this moment, when John's going to come up and kind of lead us through our response time and the band will come forward, this is a great time to just admit where you're weak, to not feel like you've got to have it all together, and to just be honest with God. And maybe he's going to lead you to be honest with someone else. Maybe he's, he's going to lead you to say, hey, you actually need to read the Bible more. Maybe you just need to get more consistent with Christian community. Or maybe you just need to actually be honest about a sin in your life that you've kept hidden and you need to make it plain so someone can go, how are you doing in that area? And not in a mean, vindictive, or vengeful way, but in a way that says, we want to see you become more like Jesus. And you have people in your life that are watching you and see Jesus in you. And as you become transformed, they will want to know what you have. And you don't have to have it all together. But in the moment when you're honest about your weakness, God's strength is made most evident. And his power shows up. In so many aspects of our lives, we feel like we are ultimately powerless. And the moment that we actually find power and fulfillment in our life is not the moment when we go, man, I've thought myself through it all. I've got all the dots connected. I've got it all together. But it's actually the moment when we go, I need help. Will you help me? God is a God who will say, yes, I am here and I am near. Let's pray. God, you are good. And so right now, we need you to show up. We need you to speak to our hearts, to make our time, our effort, to make our life more meaningful than we could even dare hope or imagine. God, you shame our wisdom with what's perceived as foolishness. But God, we know at the end of the day, we want to know at the end of the day, how what's perceived as foolishness is actually the strength and power that we so desperately need. Thank you for that.